that the Lord's taught me over the years in the arena of prayer that uh, I just really want to do things the way He wants to do them. And I, I write things down. I've been preparing this for well over a month to get to where we are to get the thing launched. And as we were worshiping God a minute ago, the Lord showed me something that I want to be able to get to you. And I, I, want to, I want to make this statement that you probably heard before. Is this, some things are caught more than taught. Some things are caught more than taught. And Joe Mumford's a really good example. Ah, serious, very serious. I, I just, I can use any of you here for an example for what I'm going to say. I'll use Cindy for one start off with, Cindy Grow. I'm glad these guys sit on the front row, man, because they do, they become targets. <laughs> they can't hide anywhere if they're back there, they're targets. But uh, how many knows the title of this series, what it's called? How you can become an effective prayer. Okay. Uh, I myself am not an effective uh, school administrator type person like Cindy Grow is. She's very effective to what she does. How she got effective at what she does, she's done it for years and years and years and years over there at the school being a leader, an example, a coordinator, making things work, breaking things together. And so if, if you were a person interested in, in uh, being an administrator type person at a school, you want to hang around the Cindy Groves. You watch how they do things, how they organize things, how they walk in their authority with love, and how they do what they do. And so you would catch the thing just hanging around Cindy. Well, Joe Mumford is a you know, to me, in my opinion, probably the best mechanic I've ever known. And I used to say about my dad all the time, but uh, my dad passed before they got a lot of these modern things. So Joe knows a lot of things my dad didn't know because of the modern technologies. And my sons and I like to hang around Joe because of his mechanic and skills, he's very effective. That means he gets the job done. When he says out to do something he wants to do, he gets it done. There's a lot of mechanics don't get the job done. They don't get it done right because they're not effective. And so if I wanted to learn more about being a mechanic, I would hang around somebody that gets the job done. Now, besides his lovely wife, Nadine, and uh, Jesse, Jesse was talking about, or Donna was talking about real estate people a while ago, and I said, well, this Susan might have used to go to the church, but Nadine still goes here. She's my real estate lady. <laughs> but anyway, that was a good testimony, but Nadine is a very, very effective real estate person. She's helped me and my family and a lot of the church people at a lot of real estate deals and so I would say somebody starting off in the real estate business, I would highly recommend they hang out with somebody like that because they would catch some things. She's had a lot of experience, done a lot of things. You catch some things. And, you know, all the different fields a lot of you are in, uh, you know, people can learn off of you. And so for me, I've given over 36 years to develop my prayer life. Because I want to be a better prayer, for several years, anybody ever heard of Billy Brim? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. I hung around with Billy Brim at her group for a lot of years. At Lynn Hammond, you may probably don't know something. There's some of the great prayers of modern times. Billy Brim's very first prayer mountain meeting she had at Prayer Mountain, Missouri. Mrs. Pastor went out there and rode out on buses out in the wilderness where they had tents out there before they developed anything. And with Kenneth Culp, Billy Brim, and a lot of the great prayer giants of that time, we were out there in the 90s on Prayer Mountain. And we learned a lot. And then uh, Brother Hagen. How many have heard of Brother Kenneth Hagen? I used to love to hang around him, watching him pray. So what I'm saying is this. I want to be better at what I do. And so I hung around lots of prayers, lots and lots of th prayer things. And back in our church back in Indiana, we developed our Sunday night prayer to where an hour before the service in a church smaller than this, I had 40 or 50 people showed up into prayer groups and broke up into prayer groups, and we affected a lot of things, become very effective. So what I'm saying is this. If you want to learn how to pray better, hang around somebody like me. You know, I might not be able to get your car fixed real good, but I can pray for you to get hooked up with somebody like Joe Mumford that knows how. And I might not be able to go out and sell your house, but I can pray for you to find somebody like Nadine that will show you how to sell your house and get it sold. And I might not be able to do real good for your kids in the school things helping, but I can pray you get find a Cindy Grow that knows how to do it. See, prayer is effective. Prayer gets the job done if you know how to pray. And uh, so I know that for me, I really resisted God for the last few months about starting this prayer series. 
Because I knew that would mean for me, that would mean less TV, less sleeping, less doing some other things, because I'm not a hypocrite. You can't do what you're not doing. And so the last few years, my prayer muscles have got flabby. I guess if Austin or somebody was here, I could show you about somebody, give you that example. My son, Joe. I don't see Joe. Oh, sound booth. Yeah, these guys here, these are the guys that like to run five or ten miles and have the backpacks on and like running five or ten miles, ride the box, bikes 20 miles and all that marine stuff. You know, they do all that stuff there. And so when you work out, you get muscles. And so all these years, been pastoring, I'm always a strong prayer and a strong word man. I'm talking about a different level now, coming up higher again. And some of you people that have worked out and done things for you, you know, some years you keep on doing it, but then all of a sudden you think, man, I'm getting back into shape. And then it takes more commitment to start doing it stronger to a higher level. And so I know that where we are now as a church, I was telling Mrs. Pastor the other day, our church is doing better than any church I've ever been a part of. And I said, it's taking less effort on our part. Well, part of that is, years ago, we prayed things through for this church to be where it is now. And then another part of it's this, is that all the leaders and workers and great people in the church that do things, over the last 11 years we've been here, we've been developing a root system. And how many know that when you see these big trees, there's a whole lot more of them under the ground than there is above the ground because of the root system. And the root system helps a tree, even in dry times, to get moisture because those roots are going down all the time and they're getting underground water sources. They're sucking stuff up. So even if it don't rain, is that, have you ever thought about that in the desert? Sometimes it doesn't rain. You still see trees growing and doing good. They've got a whole lot more you can't see than what you can see. That's what a praying church is. You got a whole lot more of what you don't see than what you do see. And, you know, some people think sometimes on a Sunday morning, think, man, that was a, that was an awesome 45-minute service, that was stuff. Well, those 45-minute service sometimes take days and days and days to just spend the time with God. I mean, I write them out quick, but it's a whole lot of time with Him before it ever comes out. And then when it comes out, it never amazes me. I'm back there at the door, and I have 15 different people tell me, Wow, you was talking right to me. You was talk- I, can't, I can't believe it. You was talking to me. That's exactly what I was seeing today. I went through that this week. That's what I'm going through. This is what I'm going to face Monday when I'm going to work. Exactly what you talked about. Well, that's because when you get a man or woman and God spends time with God, that God talks through them and changes people's lives. But you know what? It's the will of God for God to work through every one of you that way with people in your families and on your jobs and where you go. It's the will of God for you to be able to pray and get things done. And so for our lesson, a couple of things the Lord kept really, really, really putting on my heart today before I get to this outline is a couple of things I want to show you. I want you to look at uh, John chapter 15. Verse 7 and verse 8. Going to look at a couple verses as we get this series started. And I really recommend you bring your notebooks and pens and stuff to take notes on, get that outline, and write some things down. And in verse 7 and verse 8 of John chapter 15, Jesus is talking about praying. He says this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, now we like this part right here. You shall ask what you will as shall be done unto you. Well, I'll tell you what, if Jesus didn't have that middle phrase in there, everybody get their prayers answered. If you just had to abide in him, that's not what he said. He said the number one thing is you must abide in Jesus. That means born again. And he didn't say if you're born again, ask what you will shall be done unto you. He put a requirement in there for answered prayer. Do you see that? This is not an option. This is a must. If you want to be an effective prayer, you're going to have to be a person that reads your Bible. And, you know, at the expense of offending somebody, but, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at doing that. But uh, I don't do that to offend people, what I'm getting ready to say. I do this to stir people, provoke them to good works as this. If all your Bible consists of is a scripture pops on your iPhone or some verse, some, some cute thing somebody quotes on Facebook and you push like, 
that his word isn't abided in you. You've got to get beyond your daily verse of the day. You've got to get to the place where you own a real Bible. It's got pages in it. And you and your real Bible read more than one verse a week because to abide in you means to live and have their place in your conduct. That's what it means in the Greek. That word abide means to live and have a vital part of your life in your conduct. In other words, you get to the place in your daily life where before you make decisions, you stop and think, what does the Word say? And, you know, if you're not to the place yet to know this Christianology, what does the Word say? That's what we call the Bible in our circles. And so what you're saying is, what does God say? What does the Bible say? That's to have a place in your conduct. And when Jesus said, you ask what you will, it shall be done unto you, in the literal Greek, it shall be done unto you, means this, leap into being and become a fact. Leap into being and become a fact. And if you're in the real estate business, that means uh, what they did, put on there a couple weeks ago, got five of them in escrow. That's a fact. And what it meant when Pastor Dave had some engine troubles a few weeks ago, uh, Joe Mumford got a good deal on the engine and put the engine in, and I rode that vehicle down to Southern California last couple weeks. It became a fact. Amen. And so whatever it is in your life that you need done when you're praying, the Greek says, if God's word's alive in you, and you pray God's word, it'll leap into being and become a fact. And so if it's healing, if it's financial things, if it's family restorations, whatever it is, if you want to be an effective prayer, what Jesus said right here is not an option, it's a must. He said, my word must abide in you. He didn't say, I want to say this one more time, because this is where Christians don't get it. Jesus didn't say, if you abide in me, ask what you will be done unto you. Man, if that's all it was, then everybody would be a Jimmy. Everybody knows the Jimmy prayer, right? My name's Jimmy, I'll take all you give me. Oh Lord, bless our Ford no more. <laughs> hey man, my name's Paul, I'll take it all. <laughs> you know? That doesn't get it. If that's the kind of prayers you're praying, then that's why you're not getting results. And then I want you to notice what Jesus said in verse 8. He said, Here, here it is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. Well, obviously, he's talking about prayer fruit because this is connected to his previous statement. Jesus wants us to have prayer fruit. Uh, you know, I'll say this, that... Uh, I'm in a phase of life again where I want to start getting back in shape so I'm eating better than what I was eating before. I'm starting to lose some weight. Did you notice the thinner face? It's getting thinner. Did you notice the Bible belly's going down? That beer belly is a Bible belly. <laughs> going down. But I said that to say this. I've been eating a lot of fruit again. been eating pears and peaches and plums and different kinds of apples and all kinds of fruit I'm eating. Well, guess what? If the fruit on the tree, never got beyond blossom stage, I wouldn't be eating any fruit. The fruit had to mature so I could eat it. If your prayer never gets past the hope stage, then are you going to be hoping and praying? And I want to tell you, hoping and praying is not the Bible. You know, have you ever been around religious people and they're in bad situations? Oh, we're just a hoping and praying. We're just a hoping and praying. Well, you got to have hope for you can have faith but you have to mature beyond hope till you get to the faith arena. See what hope is. I've been, see, I told you I'd be hitting things out of your outlines, so nobody get offended if we don't get to the outline. We really want to because that's things that I want to say. But the Bible teaches about hope. You understand Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And there's so many verses, if the Lord had me go down this trail, I would. But there's so many verses, I, I, I tell you, that go along with that, that basically says this. And you know, this is kind of obsolete, so maybe that the generation we're in now, this won't mean a thing to you. But I still remember the old days, like 10 years ago. How many ever saw what they would call an old school camera, where you bought film and put it in the camera? 
That's what sounds so stupid to think about cameras not having film now. But anyway, anyway, if with the cameras that we had, you had to buy the film and put it in there, and you still didn't have pictures, you had a thing called a negative. And the negative was the film that you took, and then on the inside of the camera, boy, the people might not even know what this is, some of them now. But anyway, anyway, if you did not get the negative developed by developer, you still didn't have a picture. And so when we hear, now listen to this, this is going to help you, this prayer read of the things we're looking at. When we hear the word caught, taught, we begin to develop on the inside of us, be like the negative. We begin to develop an image on the inside of us. We begin to develop this inside of us. I can see myself doing that. I can see myself having that. And somebody thinking, by the Holy Ghost, well, when he talked about this real estate people, how good they are, I, I've always wanted to, I see myself doing that. Well, you've got to develop that in to faith then before you start doing it. You have to get this inner image developed, and then it goes from hope to faith. Hope is like the undeveloped picture. Faith is the reality of that picture. He said faith gives substance to the things hoped for. Substance is something that you can feel, you can see, you can taste, you can touch. It's a substance. How many know that when you go through the thing at the airport, they look for illegal what? Substance. When they pat people down, they're checking about to find illegal substance. Things you can touch, you can taste, you can see. Well, there's some substance you need developed in your lives. It says faith gives hope substance. And so that means when we sit at a church service or when you read your Bible, God begins to put hope on the inside of you. But then you begin to develop that hope by meditating in God's Word, sitting under more services, buying faith books, listen to CDs, nobody listens to them anymore, because you get all the free stuff on the YouTubes and all that kind of stuff now. So anyway, you develop it. you got to take it to the developing room. And, you know, now that's, you know, I just think about the times we live in. People don't know what that is. The developing room is the dark room. And the dark room, what that is, it's a room where the developers back in the old school days took the roll of film you gave them. They had chemicals, they mixed them together, and then they came out a picture. Well, our dark room would be our prayer room. That would be our secret place of the Most High. That would be where Jesus said, when you pray, go to your prayer closet. So in our prayer closet, there's some things developed. And things I'm telling you right now, a lot of what I'm telling you right now, I've never even thought of before. They're just coming out fresh right now, by the way. This wasn't notes. One things I really heard. They're coming out right now. I had no idea they're going to come out. As I'm talking, I'm just waiting for the next thing to come out to hear what it is so I can go home and write it down later. And so your prayer room is your developing room. And if you don't take time, as a matter of fact, the book we're selling back there that, you know, that uh, I hope everybody's got the book that wants them to get some more in, is called Processing the plan of God through prayer. Processing the plan of God through prayer. And so, as God begins to give you hope and show you things, if you don't develop them in your spirit, in your prayer closet, then they'll never come to pass in your life. And so many people, and you know, I'll give you an example for the Bible. Pastor Dave has done some awesome Sunday night services the last couple of years, series, but the one series he taught about Joseph, how many remember the story of Joseph? At 18 years old, that was he 18 when it started, 16, 18. 18 years old, Joseph had a dream. He had a dream that God was going to make him of leader leaders, et cetera, et cetera. Well, as soon as he had the dream, Satan come immediately, still the word sown. And so Joseph got sold out by his brothers to a bunch of killers. And then these killers took him to a foreign land and sold him again. And so he had a dream all the time, and the Bible teaches that he stayed favor, he stayed, he stayed faithful to God. He stayed living for God. He was a praying man. And finally, was it like, I don't know, probably, probably about 18 or 20 years later, the dream came to pass. It took that many years for it to come to pass. And so I want to say this. And this is, just, like I said, this is just all just talking, just fresh stuff coming out. Some of you have some God-given dreams God's given you about your careers, about your families about your financial situations, about things in your life 
And you're not waiting on God. God's waiting on you to process it. God's waiting on you to process it. And that's why we're here on Sunday nights to learn how to process the plan of God through prayer for you, to teach you how to do it. And then I want to say something else that the Lord uh, taught me years and years and years ago, that a church in the prayer arena is only as strong as its weakest link. How many know that about a chain? You know, I think about chains. I think about Jordan mechanics and big truck stuff. I was always around back with my trucking days. We had great big old chains. We'd pull whole semi-trailers. We'd hook one chain up and pull it. And if you did it right, the chain would pull good. But if you had a weak link, that's what it would break at. The strong one wouldn't break and be the weak one. And so in a church, if a pastor such as myself can train and impart to people how to be strong prayers, then before you're ever a good corporate prayer, what's corporate mean? That means as a group praying. Before you can ever be a good corporate prayer team, you got to have individual prayers that are strong links in the team. And so this is to God's advantage and to my advantage as the leader of this church to develop strong prayers. Because if I develop strong prayers... Then not only will their lives be blessed, number one, your lives will be blessed. But then number two, the church life will be blessed because we'll be able to pray people out of darkness into light. Out of sin into victory in Jesus Christ. Out of death on sick beds into healing and health. Out of bankruptcy into prosperity. Out of split up homes into whole homes. Out of children that are runaways to children that are running to God. Amen. Amen. And that's what God wants to do. So do everything you can to come on these Sunday nights. And by the way, we won't be here next Sunday night. It's Mother's Day. And so we'll pick up again after next Sunday night. But let's get to our notes now and see the things of God. Is this helping anybody see these things and hear these things? Boy, I sure hope you write some things down because uh, they're nuggets that you need. So let's, let's, let's go to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, says, And it came to pass that as he was praying, talking about Jesus at a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples to pray. And so I want to say this. These guys... Travel with Jesus, heard Jesus pray. They saw the results with Jesus pray. And so they wanted what Jesus had. And so they asked Jesus, said, Jesus, will you teach us to pray? Well, today, in 2016, Jesus is in heaven. He lives in our hearts, but he's in heaven. And then Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15 God said, I'll give you pastors of my heart. They'll teach you. They'll feed you of knowledge and understanding. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, verse 11 says, And Jesus, when he ascended up on high, gave gifts unto men. And says that he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints. And so, if your heart's cry has been Jesus, teach me to pray. You know, you may not have voiced like that, but over the course of time, you thought, boy, I'd like to be more spiritual, I'd like to pray. Then guess what? This is an answer to your prayer. Your prayer is getting answered now. And so the whole thing is, it's, it's, like, it's like the uh, old saying that you can uh, lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Well, see, you're led to a place now to drink in all the prayer arena you want, but you've got to drink. And so that means that when you leave here, when you leave here, you might have to shut off some TV or Facebook or something, get out your notes, get out your journal and do some writing and do some note looking and look at some things like that. And I want to say something. You know, I guess I love the Holy Ghost, how he, how he does things. I want to give you a warning. This is straight from the Holy Ghost to some of you. Some of you are pendulum swingers. You know what that means? You've been kind of just really not too, maybe a little bit lukewarm in the spiritual arena. And so don't all of a sudden be like somebody that's 
like, you know, what they call these kind of diets, these crave diets, goofy diets, where all of a sudden in one day, man, you're going to shut off eating for two weeks, man, like that. You're going to mess up your body. You will give up on things. Or somebody decides they want to work out, they haven't worked out for 40 years, all of a sudden, man, they go, I'm going to get the problem, I'm going to run 22 miles. And they hurt themselves. Don't, as we're exhorted about getting your journal out your Bible, don't all of a sudden think you're going to shut off the whole world and all your life in one day and just pitch a swing way over here all of a sudden. You're going to get frustrated after about a week and hurt yourself. And so all we're saying is like anything else, you start jumping in and just start developing, developing a more serious study life, developing a day at a time, start shutting off some things, doing some things. If, 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 your, if your devotional time has been coming to church once or twice a month, and that's where it's at, then if you get yourself developed where you come to church once or twice a week, and then you actually pull out your Bible at home and start reading and studying it, even if it's only 15 minutes a day, 15 minutes every other day, you're starting a direction that all of a sudden, it's like that old commercial on TV, that laced potato chip. Remember that guy said, bet you can't eat just one? Well, you will begin to develop a study life. And what's going to start happening, his words are going to start abiding in you. His words are going to start becoming a part of your life. And you're going to catch yourself on your job, something that normally would have come out of your mouth, all of a sudden, whoa, you stopped yourself. That means the words started working in your life. You controlled your temper. You controlled maybe a bad word going to come out. Or maybe as a criticism about some fellow worker or somebody else, all of a sudden, instead of gossiping, you thought, I just read this morning that Jesus said that with the judgment I meet, it will be judged to me. So I don't want to judge this person. I want to stop right now and see what's happening. And then when that's happening, it's starting to change your prayer life. And so Jesus said, teach us to pray. And so we need spiritual leaders to teach us to pray. Amen. And so that's what we need. So prayer is entering into partnership with God. Prayer is entering into partnership with God. Amen. Got to help my friends. The word's partnership. <laughs> Amen. No embarrassment. It's partnership. Want to make sure he didn't miss that. Okay, it's partnership with God. Prayer is joining forces with God, the Father, Brother Hagin said. It's fellowshipping with Him and carrying out His will upon the earth. Prayer is hooking up with God and letting God lead your prayer life. You know, I've made the statement several times the last couple of weeks and talked about teaching. And I want to say it again tonight. I've learned, and like I said, uh, Joe's a master mechanic. She's super sales. And by the way, we have another expert in church here, too. This is not a put-down. It's very, very, very sincere. Carrie's a, Katie's anointed talker. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Katie, Katie is our business administrator, and we can say she is our anointed business administrator. She'd get on the telephone. We're riding down the hill to meetings, like going down to, well, we went down to a meeting down in, what was that place called? Corona. On, on Friday. And Katie on the cell phone saving us hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars, that anointed voice. And making business deals for the church. She's anointed at that. And so if I want to learn how to do deals, which I, I can't do what Katie does. But she's an expert. She's anointed. She does it well. And so with those kind of things, I want to say that we can all become partners with God in prayer. God is the best there ever is, has been. He wants us to be partners with him. And so prayer is partnership with God. And what that means is that when you hook up with the Holy Spirit, Instead of trying to get the Spirit to pray with you, and you start praying with the Spirit, then all of a sudden what I found out is this. When I've yielded to Him in prayer, I think I'm going to pray about my problems. All of a sudden I'm not praying about my problems. All of a sudden I start seeing other people's problems.
And when I start seeing other people's problems because the Holy Spirit shows me how to pray for them, I pray for them and then mine get answered. And so see, this is being a partner with God. God sees the big picture. And so I want you to look then at Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. Say this to me. Say, I am learning how to be a partner with God in prayer. Amen. I'll tell you what. You know, we're saying that, but that's going to become a reality to you. You can become a partner with him and know it. So Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7 says, Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful, not sorrowful, not depressed, joyful. You know what that means? There are going to be times when you're praying, you're going to start laughing. Have you ever seen a person that had joy that didn't laugh? You know why you're going to be laughing? The psalm says that God laughs at the devil because he says your day's coming. And if you're partners with God, you're going to see situations and you're going to start laughing because you're going to see the answer bigger than the situation. And you're going to be joyful. In my house of prayer, it says, Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine offer for my, my, my altar, for mine house shall be called a house of prayer of all nations. My house shall be called a house of prayer of all nations. So God's will is for believers to have joy when they pray. To have joy when they pray. And when you know the answer, you have joy. You know, there's so many, so many things. I could, I could go through this and look at things. And I think about Isaiah 48. Back up and look at that. I want to show you something here just to see it. I told you I wouldn't stay with the outline probably. I just want to look at a few verses here. And these are to help praying verses. How many know, maybe you don't know, but I asked this question. That's a phrase we use. But how many here do know that Jesus said in John 16, 13, the Holy Ghost will show you things to come? So we can expect the Holy Ghost to show us things to come. Amen. How many know that we call it the Trinity? That's God, the Father, Jesus our Lord, and the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. It says they're all one, but they're separate. They're all one. Well, God the Father, God the Father was the one that the Old Testament talked about and demonstrated himself all through the Old Testament. Through the Gospels, it was God the Son. And this started in the book of Acts. It's God the Holy Ghost. And so that's why I said the Holy Ghost to show you things to come, because that's God now on the earth in us. Amen. And so I want you to look this here about God the Father in Isaiah 48, verse 3. He says, I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them. I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. And then look at uh, verse 5. I, even I, from the beginning, declared it to thee. Before it came to pass, I showed it. I love it when God shows me, like Donna said, you know, God, that testimony that uh, she saw for, they'd be in a house a couple years, that God showed her that. So she had joy. She was able to go through it and do what she had to do. And so uh, I, I look at these. Look at verse 16. Isaiah's awesome. It's showing how God thinks behind the scenes that you don't think about. But then he said, Isaiah 55, it says his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways, but they can be if we draw close to him in the word of God. He says this in verse 16, come ye near unto me, hear ye this. That's what we're doing. How many want to come nearer to God? He said this. He said, I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, there am I. And now the Lord God, his spirit has sent me. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teaches thee to profit, which leads thee by the way that thou shouldest go. And so God says he will show us how things turned out before they even started. I remember back in bunches of years ago when he started making this real to me. How, well, they don't know this. Okay, back in Indiana, they call it May 500 month. You know, we got all of our different things we do in California. Indianapolis has a lot of things now, but for years, Indianapolis is known for one thing, the 500-mile race. 
That's where racing started out was Indianapolis. And Indianapolis started at the end of April. Checkered flags go up all around everywhere within about probably, I'd say, 50, 75 miles. And all you hear on TV and radio and everywhere is 500 month. It's 500 month. Well, that's the big deal. But when God started teaching me about how he knows the end from the beginning, he told me one time, he says, I already know who won the race. I thought, man, I didn't even know you thought about races. He said, I know who won the race because I'm God. He said, I already know how it ended. I said, wow, I never thought about that. You already know how it ended and the race didn't even start yet. And then he said this to me. Now get this. He said, as a matter of fact, I already know who won the Super Bowl next year. And then he says, I even know who won the World Series. How could we, as mere mortals, not want to get close to somebody like that, that knows how your life turned out? That knows about that business deal you needed to close before it ever started. That knows about that relationship you were about to enter, what it was supposed to be. That knows about that move you were wanting to make, whether to make it or not. You get close to somebody like that, and he will show you, don't go there, or do go there. He will show you, don't hook up with those people, they're bad people. Or he'll show you, you can hook up with those people, they're good people, this is going to turn out good for you, and those kind of things. That's some of the things we pick up in prayer that God begins to show us some things about the future. And I learned this statement out of the book, Process the Plan of God Through Prayer, is this. God knows more about your future than you know about your past. And the thing about it, the thing about it, in that John, that John chapter 15 chapter was in a while ago, Jesus said, I don't call you servants, I call you friends, because everything the Father's shown me, I'll show you. Amen. And so, I'm saying, I'm saying, that if we, if we as prayers, choose to get close to him in prayer and learn how to pray, we're going to start seeing some things and knowing some things. And guess what? We're not going to be broke like we used to be broke. We're not going to be depressed like we used to be depressed. And then besides that, what we have will spill off on other people's lives. We'll get their lives changed too. Look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And, of course, we know that Jesus uh, just getting ready to go to heaven. And I want you to know something in verse 3, though. It's not your notes, but you need to see this to help you understand some things. Because we don't really think about, because all we have is our little Easter stories, things we do. We think Jesus died, went right to heaven. But that's not what happened. Verse 2 says that uh, he met with the, with, with the apostles. Verse 3 says... Who, to whom also he showed himself alive after his crucifixion by many infallible proofs, being seen to them forty days. Forty days as speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so we don't think about that. Jesus spent forty days being the number one speaker at the first minister's conference of the New Testament. Forty days. Now get this. Jesus after he was raised from the dead, spent 40 days teaching these guys what to do for the church. That's important for what you're going to see here. And so then, verse 9, he was taken up to heaven. Then, uh, verse, verse 9, and when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he's taken up at a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him going to heaven. So 2,000 years ago, he went back to heaven, but very soon Jesus is coming back to church, coming back to earth for his church. He's coming back. And so verse 12 through 14 then returned they unto Jerusalem after sitting forty days with him being taught from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And they were come in, they went up into an upper room 
where abode all these apostles. And then verse 14 says, These all continue with one accord in prayer supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, his brethren. And so that was called the first believer's prayer meeting. They prayed together in the upper room. They prayed together in the upper room. Jesus told them to tarry in Jerusalem till they received power from on high. And so I want you to notice then, they were praying, about 120 of them. And then it says in verse uh, 1, chapter 2, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there were with all accord in one place. And so they stayed praying till the day of Pentecost. And when you learn Bible things, you know how long they prayed. Passover, when Jesus came back to Pentecost, is 50 days. Passover to Pentecost is 50 days. He taught them 40 days. So these guys had a 10-day prayer meeting. You know, I think that kind of helps you understand some things. For 10 days, these believers laid their lives down. They prayed together for 10 days. And so they were serious about it. It says then, here's the results. This is effective prayer. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting. Can you imagine that? How many heard any of the wind the last couple of weeks? What would happen if it wasn't windy time? And we were in a church like this. And all of a sudden we hear those Santa Anas, but they're not Santa Anas. We're in the church, these big brick walls, the cement block walls, and all of a sudden we were coming across here, and you're looking at me, and I got fire on my head. I look out at you, and you all got fire on your head. Would you call that effective praying? Amen. You know, I think sometimes we don't really realize how supernatural these things are. This is a very supernatural God we serve. He does supernatural things. That was the start of the Holy Ghost Pentecostal church age right there. It didn't just happen. Jesus taught us some things for 40 days. Then they prayed for 10 days, and then God moved. And so in our life sometimes, I think maybe we ought to be willing to pray for 10 minutes. Or sometimes for an hour. Spend some time hooking up with God when he wants to move and do things. So anyway, it says they, they were all filled, etc., etc. So that's called corporate prayer, and that started the church age. Corporate prayer started the church age, and prayer will bring a close to the church age. Prayer started it, and prayer is going to close out this church age. What's the close of the church age? When the gospel's been fully preached around the world, when we've done our jobs, Jesus wanted us to do, and then God says, that's enough, let's bring them home, we'll come out of here. But that's what, we're at a time right now where God shifted the church back into prayer. He said, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. Now we're getting ready to head down to the closing things here, what I want to show you. I want to go to Habakkuk, that's in the Old Testament. And we're, we're going to kind of share some things here now to help you understand where we are. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. And this is talking about praying. This prophet said, I will stand upon my watch and sit me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me. And what shall I answer when I'm reproved? Reproved. How many have heard of a thing in this church called warfare prayer? Anybody heard of warfare prayer? Yeah. Meets on Tuesday mornings at 9 o'clock. The Lord put that in Mrs. Pastor's heart, 9.30. Well, you get here at 9 o'clock, you won't be late. If you're a person running late, think 9. But if you come on time, think 9.30. Okay, warfare prayer. Well, uh, who here has been in the military or is the military? Anybody ever been Army people, Navy people, Marines or anything? Got them over here. Is there a thing in the, for the military people called your watch? You're on your watch? Well, guess what Jesus said we're soldiers in his military. We have a watch. 
on our watch in warfare prayer, we're in spiritual warfare. Does anybody here know that? You're in spiritual warfare. Whether you know it or not, there's snipers out there shooting you every day. Those undercover agents try to slip in and steal your family. That hurts you. And so, we have a watch commander. His name's Jesus. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. And when we watch and pray, do you remember Jesus said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation? When we watch and pray, the Holy Spirit tells us things to do. We receive our commands. This is really important what I'm saying right now. This is part of prayer right here. This prophet said, I'm going to stand upon my watch. He said, what, what he said is this. Jesus said, enter your prayer closet, pray to your father in secret. What, what, what you say to him is secret, you'll get rewarded openly for. And so, for praying, we position ourselves for prayer is what this is talking about. And so he says, and the Lord answered me. Isn't that an amazing thing? He went into his prayer closet, the Lord answered and said, Write the vision and make a plate upon tables that he may run that readeth it. What that means to me is this. Your pastor has kept prayer journals for well over 30 years. God's talked to me a lot of times in those 30 years, 30 plus years, probably, I don't know how long I've been doing them. But I wrote things down in notes before I knew to keep a journal, even so 36 years ago. And so the reason is this. Uh, Dylan was in the Navy, right? He was in the Navy, and I'm very sure that somebody gave him orders. Most of the time, they probably weren't just verbal, probably got some written orders sometimes. So here's what you do on your watch. This is what you do. And if you receive orders from your commander to carry him out so you won't forget him, know exactly what he said, you need to write him down. And that's what he said here. Write it down and make it plain. He may run that readeth it. Well, if you're going to carry out what he wants you to do, you better write it down. Has anybody besides me ever got busy with life after God talked to you and all of a sudden, a little ways down the road, said, oh, man, I remember what I'm supposed to do now. I remember that. It came back to me now. Thank you, Jesus, reminded me again. Well, if you write it down, you won't lose it. It won't slip. So that's what God says. Anyway, he says this. For the vision that when God talks to you, it may not be an open vision, but it's God's vision, God's plan for your life is yet for an important time. At the end, it shall speak. That's called manifest. And not lie, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. It says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. And so what I want to say now is this. That in my time to draw close to God, he gave me something back in 1997 that I want to share with you now about this vision business. A vision is when God gives you something. Sometimes you do have a vision. I'm getting ready to tell you about a vision I had. Somebody said, you had a vision? That sounds spooky. Well, some people are spooky. But God's people, when they have things from God, they're not spooky. They're anointed. And so, now listen to this. You know, you might be getting tired, but here's some impartation comes in now. Something's going to jump on you. Is this. Back in 1997, I was in a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And Billy Brim was the speaker that day, that night, matter of fact. And it was a church full of preachers and other people. My family was there. It was a, it was a believer's preacher's thing for a week we always went to. But Billy Brim is big on Israel and end times. About end times things. And so I never considered myself to be an end times preacher. To be an end times preacher was the Jack Van Empies and people like that. You know, they did all the stuff about the book of Revelation showing all these things coming to pass. And so she's talking. I'm in a service just like you. We've already been up all day long. Service to start at 9 o'clock in the morning. This is the 7 o'clock nighttime meeting. And we got kids that do all the other things we're doing. So it's nighttime. And I'm sitting there probably... Some of you right now are probably sitting there thinking, boy, I've heard enough already. And your flesh has cried out and said, oh, I want to go. But I was sitting there, and I was hungry for God, like you're hungry for God or you wouldn't be here. And she said, 
How many of you are end times preachers? And I said the thing, well, I'm not an end time preacher. All I am is a preacher. I'm just a pastor. I'm not an end time preacher. And she said that, and I said there thinking, well, that's not me. So I just sit there grinning. Said, well, how many of you know this is the end times? Oh, yeah, this is the end times. I know it's the last. This is the end times. How many of you are preachers? I said, you're an end times preacher then. Because you're preaching in the end times. And when she said that, I thought, yeah, she's talking to me. And so then she said, this she said, if you want revelation from God on the end times, come up here. I'm going to lay hands on you. Oh, man, I was Jimmy then. I'm Jimmy. I'll take all you give me, man. I was out of my seat. I was back a little ways. I always like to sit by the aisle so I can get up and run if I need to to get somewhere. She said that I was the first one in line. Now listen to this. I'm getting ready to tell you something very supernatural that changed my life forever. And get listen to this. I was the first one in line. And when I got up there, I was up there for her to impart something to me through laying on the hands of God to help me be what I was supposed to be in the end times as a preacher. She laid hands on me. And when she laid her hand on me, I was there. I felt the anointing of God on her. And when it was, it wasn't one of those big strong would knock me over, but it had me rocking. And I thought, I've got a choice. And I've learned how to yield to the Spirit. Now listen, this, this might help some of you. I, matter of fact, I know it'll help you. Because I had to be taught how to yield. And so I thought, I can resist this and stay up. Or if I receive it all, I'll go down. And so I wasn't faking going down because it was real. But I've learned you resist the Spirit just say, nope, I don't want to do that. And just stand there. But I know that if you yield, you'll receive more from God. And so I yield, and I went over. And when I first laid down, I laid there just doing what we do when we lay down. You know, you just think about God. You just kind of thank you, Jesus, and that kind of thing. And so I just laid there. As I laid there with my eyes closed on the floor, I was the first one up there. By the time I was over with, pretty much people were going. I was the last one up. Here's what happened while I laid there. I laid down there. And while I laid down there, just thinking, Jesus, all of a sudden, I saw this heart. And it's on your paper there. Mr. Pastor says he can get some pictures there. I hope those don't look corny because I don't want to water down what God did. I saw this heart in front of my spiritual eyes. My eyes were closed. Has anybody ever had their eyes closed like that when you're praying? All of a sudden you start to see something, images of something. I saw this heart in front of me just kind of dancing around. You know, I know that one time... I never was around Catholic stuff very much, but I went to a Catholic church one time for something. I saw this thing, they call it the sacred heart or something, got this heart, these thorns around or something. It was like that about the thorns. I laid there, I saw this heart thing bass around, and it kind of come in, got close to me, went out, and just kind of moved around in front of my vision like that. I said, wow, that's a heart. That really is a heart. And it went away. And then... All of a sudden, I saw this eyeball, <laughs> like an eyeball. And it started the same thing. It got close to me. It went away. I just laid there. I thought, wow, that's an eye. That really is an eye. And it was real. And it went away. And then I saw an ear. <laughs> and this ear, same thing. It'd come in and get close, move around. and said, wow, that, that really is an ear. That's an ear. And it went away. And then I saw a mouth. And this mouth did the same thing. I said, wow, that really is a mouth. And then I laid there, and then the Lord spoke to me. He said, get up and go back to your seat, and I'll tell you what that means later. Well, I thought later meant like next week, or back in Indiana, or next month. And so I'm back in my seat, and all of a sudden the Lord says, if you will cultivate your heart in prayer. Cultivate your heart in prayer. Then you begin to see what I want you to see. Get this heart, eye. And I said, then when you see what I want you to see, then you'll begin to hear what I want to say. 
then when you hear what I want to say, you'll begin to speak what I want you to speak. Then you'll start seeing results. Number one thing was my heart. Cultivate my heart in prayer and in the word. Number two, when my heart got right and tender before the Holy Spirit, I'd begin to see things I hadn't seen in the Word, of course, and then in life. And then I'd begin to hear. And then when I was seeing right and hearing right, I'd talk right. How many know that Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three, you'll have whatsoever you saith? Then at verse 24, he said, you'll have what you prayeth. So the saying and praying go together, all connected to the seeing and the hearing and to the heart. And I realized something during worship tonight. I never connected some dots till tonight while I was up here worshiping God. Remember when, you know, we kind of, you, I don't know about you, I kind of know what's going on because I'm the overseer. But I knew it was my turn to get the pulpit, but I was writing on a paper. While I was writing on a paper, I began to realize this was 1997. The Lord started showing me that. Then in 1998, I didn't connect these events till tonight. In 1998, I was at a two-week Holy Ghost meeting with Brother Kenneth Hagin in Huntington, West Virginia. In Huntington, West Virginia, I didn't go to Raymond Bible School like David and Pastor David Katie got to go to, so I always got Brother Hagin at a distance. I went to a lot of his meetings since way back in the very early 80s, and I found a lot of his stuff. That's why our bookstore is low for his things, because he's my spiritual father, helps so many things. But anyway... In 1998, at his Holy Ghost meetings in Huntington, West Virginia, I was at a 9 o'clock morning prayer service. He was teaching on prayer. And then when he got done teaching on prayer, he said, well, let's just practice what we're preaching. He said, let's just pray for a while. And so when he said that, I was way back there. It was a pretty big church for a lot of people, even at 9 o'clock time, because it was, people took off vacations, a couple of these things. Well, Brother Hagin, as we looked at it, he's on that side of the stage, great big stage. And so he said, you all come up around the altar. So I come way over here because that's what was opening. I was praying right here on the altar on my knees, but uh, I was cheating. I wanted to watch him pray. And why is that? That's why I watched Joe work on cars, man. I want to see how he uses those tools. I want to see how he gets these parts off, puts these parts on, because I want to catch something. And so I was on my knees. And I'm sure I was praying something, but I was watching Brother Hagin because to me, he was the prayer general of the world. I wanted to see something. And I'd watch him pray, and then he'd, all of a sudden he'd start laughing. And I'd just sit in the yard like this because everybody would think I was cheating, so I'm looking like that. And he was praying, and then he'd start laughing. And there was a lot of people here, and I'm way down here, and there's probably at least 20 or 30 people between me and him. And he got up off his knees over there. He said, let's just stand up for a minute. And he walked over here, and I'm standing here. And he's right there. And his face about that far, far from me. And for the next hour, he talked to me. He was talking to them, but he was talking to me. And I caught something off Brother Hagen. I caught the spirit of prayer. It's not a spirit, but I call it a spirit of prayer. And that spirit of prayer that I took back to my church. And that spirit of prayer came into my church. And then I realized something else a while ago when I was up here. That was 1998. Then in 2000, I think it was in July, we were getting ready to go to Branson, Missouri for a conference. I was walking through my house. We were getting ready to leave. The day we were getting ready to leave. And all of a sudden, just as clear... As you hear me talking now, the Holy Ghost said to me, I want to be your prayer partner. And so, we're getting ready to leave. And I just thought, well, yeah. We got to Branson, and we're at the conference. And a couple days later, I'm sitting out here, and there's a service starting. They're teaching, doing the things, doing, and I'm sitting there just like everybody else, but it's being cool. And all of a sudden, I went, ah! 
I thought you were my prayer partner. And I found out there was another level of dimension of prayer I'd never experienced. As much as I was growing all the time. So then God, I would say, I have to get my, have to get my old journals out there. I haven't looked at them for a while. Spent the next three months teaching me on prayer, end times pastoring, and things for churches. And like Habakkuk said, the vision is yet for an appointed time. Well, that was in the year 2000. This is 2016. That was 16 years ago when God told me a lot of things He wants to do in the church in the end times. I've moved 2,000 miles away, but He told us that back then what He was going to do. In our very serious warfare prayer, we didn't call it that, but that in our Tuesday morning prayer we had out there, one morning He spoke these words to us. He said, now listen to this. Man, I hope you're awake right now. I'm not boring you. I hope you got a hold of this. He said, he said this, and you get a hold of this, what I'm getting ready to say. Do you recognize your position in relevance to the times? Do you recognize your position in relevance to the times? What that means is this. I myself, Pastor Samples, I may be anointed and gifted to be a pastor, but you're all anointed and gifted to something you're doing. You could all be anointed and gifted in prayer. And so we, as believers, boy, I just, I'd give anything. If you could see what I see and know what I know, that's why I say it's got to be caught, not just taught. People of High Desert Word Center, this is not business as usual times in the world. This is the times in the world that the prophets of the Old Testament at the prophets of the New Testament, including Jesus, warned us about. He warned us about the great hatreds that people's going to have for each other. He warned us about the other day. Uh, saw a thing popped across the news. Great big giant 7.5 earthquake someplace down there by Australia. Since I heard that, I thought, wow, Jesus, that's what he said. Earthquakes in diverse places. And these things happening. But at the same time, the prophets prophesied about great revival in the end times because people... We're serious. And so, in future weeks, some things we'll be talking about. During those times, when he talked to me back in 2000, here's a great big Bible lesson he taught me from the Word of God. It's cover to cover. He said this, What always precedes a major move of God. And then, a week later, when I quit shaking in my boots, because when God talks to you like strong, it shakes you so bad, you don't want to say anything back because you don't want to show him how stupid you are. He knows, but you don't want to show him. And so I know that religious people have an answer for everything because they know it all. But when God's really visiting you, you know you don't know it all. So I could have gave him all kinds of answers. Well, yeah, uh, God, didn't you get my three-part series? Well, have you ever read my 16 steps to a divine move? I didn't do that stuff. After a week, I said, sir, what do you consider to be a major move? He said, go back to the book of Exodus. I went to the book of Exodus. He said, look up the title, Exodus. I looked up Exodus, you know what it means? Big move. He said, he said, I consider a big move when I deliver a whole nation. And so then a week later, he gave me step number one of what always precedes a major move of God. He said, number one, prayer. He said, I always call my people to position a prayer first. And when you read the book of Exodus... They were in bondage in a very worse situation than we are in America right now. It says the people cried out to God and he heard their cries. They were praying. Then he said, number two, number two, he said, after prayer, I raise up leadership. They cried and then God said, Moses, I heard their cries, now you go lead them. 
And then he said, number three, unity. He said, they got to get in unity together and with the leadership. And then when they prayed, God sent the leader. Then they got unity, and they walked out of Egypt free. Think about what we just looked at in the book of Acts. They prayed. 120 prayed. Then God raised up 12 leaders. And then the Pentecost happened, and then the church started. Prayer, leadership, and unity. Over and over and over and over again. Look at Gideon. People were praying because they were, were praying and cried out to God because they were oppressed. God raised up Gideon. They got behind Gideon and they got free. Here in the modern times we live in, God's calling Christians to pray. Not just at home. Pray together. He's, causing, he's calling leaders to show them what to do. To follow the leaders to do what they're supposed to do. And as we pray... As we're united in love, follow good leadership, what God wants us to do, America can really be changed, really be helped. And you know what's good about a big move of God? Your families get sucked into it. Has anybody ever seen a flood? When a flood comes through, what does it do? It sucks in everything. It's in its way. It just comes with it. Well, when God comes in like a flood going to be people you never thought would serve God that all of a sudden they're in. And when they get into God's flood, they're delivered. They're healed. Their minds are restored. Things are changed. Amen? And so that's the times we live in. We're at a time right now to where as we, as a church, get serious, and there's things that I want to teach, things I want to impart, but we're going to be turning into more and more and more of what Jesus said, my house is supposed to be called a house of prayer for all nations. Amen. Well, let's stand up.